Morning. Uh, my name is David Sorn. I'm the lead pastor here of Renovation Church. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed your extra hour of sleep last night. Or you just stayed up an hour later. Of course you did. Okay, uh, welcome. We, uh, we are continuing uh, studying the book of Luke in the Bible this morning. Luke is one of four books in the Bible about the life, the teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And today, as we're marching through the book, we've come to the passage about the Last Supper, or some call it the Lord's Supper, or we even simply call it Communion. And arriving at this passage, going through the book of Luke, is kind of a neat opportunity for us because as Christians, you may have participated in communion uh, maybe hundreds of times, but we don't often get the, a full 30 minutes to dive in and study the topic. And so my prayer for this morning is not only that this morning's message would be spiritually beneficial for you, but that it would be a, a message that enriches your experience of communion for years and years to come. All right, let's open up the Bible together. There's a Bible under every chair in front of you, so go ahead and grab one, or if you bring your own, that's cool too. Uh, we will be on page 720. Uh, you can always actually use the Renovation Church app too. You just have Bible in weekly verses. So we're going to be in chapter 22. Let me kind of give you uh, some historical context here. In the book of Luke, from chapter 19 all the way to chapter 24, almost all of it takes place in what Christians call Holy Week, just a one-week period. So chapter 19 starts on what we call Palm Sunday, where Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey. By Friday of that same week, he's being crucified. And then by the next Sunday, a few days after that Friday, he is resurrected from the dead on Easter Sunday. So where we are right now is we are on Thursday of that week, and Jesus is going to have the Last Supper that evening. He'll be arrested later that same Thursday evening, and he's literally on the cross by Friday morning. Okay, so now that we kind of know where we are, let's jump into the Word. So chapter 22, we are kind of coming back into it at verse 7. So look for that little number 7. <clears throat> Here's what it says. It says, then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go, and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Okay, let's pause there for a couple minutes. So this is all sort of a setup to the Last Supper. Jesus has two of his disciples go out and make preparations for the meal. But it's not just any meal. They're going to celebrate the Passover. Now, what's Passover? Uh, Passover is more than just a random holiday you see in your iPhone calendar once a year. Passover is this holy day that God told the Israelites to remember every single year. It's a holiday the Jewish community still celebrates today. And it's a holiday that I think Christians should know about and should understand. Because Passover is a celebration of what God did in the book of Exodus, which is the second book of our Bible. In fact, as a church, we did an entire teaching series through the book of Exodus. It's a 20-week series. Uh, you can find it on our website. It's called the Rescue Series. You can, there's hours and hours of content to study on there. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Exodus, I will give you a 60-second summary right now. Basically, here's what happened. All of uh, God's people, the Israelites, were enslaved in Egypt, and God uses, he rises up, raises up this leader, Moses, to confront the Egyptian pharaoh and tell him that God says, let my people go, right? Okay. And uh, it's actually a movie, too. I don't know if you know that. But um, 
So he goes out and he confronts Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, uh, no, I'm, I'm not going to ruin my entire economy, which is built sinfully on these slaves. So God sends 10 plagues on Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and Pharaoh continues to not let the people go until the 10th and final plague, which is the death of the firstborn sons. And all the firstborn sons were to be killed, even the Israelite ones. No one was safe unless they sacrificed a lamb in their place and then put, this is really interesting, put the blood of the lamb on top and on the sides of their door frames as a sign that they believed God. And if they did that, when the angel of death came in the 10th plague, he would pass over, see it? See it? Are you getting it? Pass over their door and then they would be spared. So that happens, and then God commands the Israelites that every year on that date that they should celebrate a Passover meal. And that meal is rich with symbolism from that actual event. Like you, you eat a lamb, for example, and, and, and on and on. So it is that Passover meal that Jesus and his disciples are eating when they have that first last supper, that communion. Okay, does that make sense? That context really, really matters. They're not just having a random dinner that night. Okay, so let's keep reading now in the Word. So verse 15 says, And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again. I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, you're going to see in a second, there's actually another cup that Jesus hands out, and you may be thinking, like, why are there multiple cups going on here? If you partake in an actual Passover meal, there are actually four cups throughout the meal, and each of the different cups has a different symbolism behind it. Now, as we start to dive into communion now, I want to ask this basic question you see on the screen, what is communion? Now, it actually may sound like a really basic question, and maybe you're going, I know what communion is. Why am I? Why did I come here this morning? This is just so... They should be doing this in, in children's ministry. This is simple stuff. I want to tell you, there is almost nothing simple about this question. This is actually an incredibly deep question. It is a question that has divided entire denominations into new denominations over church history. It's a massively deep question. And that is because people have all sorts of different ideas on what one is supposed to do during communion, uh, what happens during communion, and what communion itself accomplishes or doesn't accomplish. We could literally spend hours talking about all the different beliefs out there. But we want to ask this question, what is communion scripturally? What do we see in our passage? So the first thing we see is kind of interesting. Maybe it's not what you're expecting, but it is that communion is a look forward, not just backward in time. You, many of us, we assume well, it's, you look backwards, right, to the, to the cross and what Jesus did. But look at verse 16 again, if you have it in front of you. It says, Jesus says, I will not eat it again until, he's looking to the future here, it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. The Passover meal is actually fulfilled in the future. It hasn't happened yet. And now look at verse 18. Then he says, he won't drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. So that's twice in this little passage about the Lord's Supper, that Jesus actually points our minds forward in time, not backward. Now, what is he talking about? What is he pointing to? Well, Jesus is actually referring to what's called in Scripture the wedding supper of the Lamb. 
That sounds really cool, right? Maybe you've heard of that before. Maybe you've never heard of that before. Jesus actually talks about this multiple times in the book of Luke. In fact, we did an entire, I know so many of you are new this year, but we did an entire message on this in Luke chapter 14 called The Excuses We Give God. Uh, you can read about it there. Uh, you can, I hope you're writing some of this down because we want you to be a student of the word. Uh, you can read about the wedding supper of the lamb uh, in Revelation 19. But the idea behind it is when human history as we know it on earth wraps up and Jesus comes back, that there will be amongst Jesus and his believers, there will be this amazing feast, a wedding party, if you will. It's a banquet because in the New Testament, Jesus is often described as the groom and the church, we are his bride. And so when everything wraps up, we will celebrate, in a sense, the Passover in its ultimate fulfillment as we get to dine with the Passover lamb, Jesus, who died as a substitute in our place. So when we take communion, you can not only look backward to the cross, you can actually, as you partake of the elements, you can look forward to the great feast that you will one day partake with Jesus. And that's kind of cool, right? Okay. Let's keep reading now. Verse 19 says, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So Jesus takes these two elements, the bread and the wine, and these are two really important symbols for the Christian church. Uh, uh, symbols, what do we do with these symbols? Uh, look at verse 19 carefully. He says, we are to remember. We do this in remembrance of me. That's really important. That's really important for theology today, for church history. It, communion is something that he is commanding that Christians uh, partake in. And we make it a general practice of the church, an, an ordinance, we might call it. Now, he doesn't give us a frequency. Notice that. It's not in there. Uh, sometimes I meet people and they'll say, I just don't understand why we don't do communion on the first Sunday of the month. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? And I always say, as soon as you can show me the part of the Bible where it says, thou shalt on thy first Sunday of the month, we will absolutely do that. But it's not, Jesus doesn't give us a frequency, but he does tell us we are to do it. And when we do it, we're to do it in remembrance of him. That word is so, so important. In fact, that's kind of our second point when we need to think critically about what communion is. Here's the second point. Communion, what it is, is a call to remembrance, not a disbursement of grace. Okay, this is where confusion comes in for a lot of people, because many people believe that communion is about more than just remembrance, particularly here if you live in the upper Midwest. That's because in the upper Midwest, the vast majority of people grew up either Catholic or Lutheran. In fact, just for fun, let's do this. How many of you in, your, in this room, raise your hand, when you were a child, you either grew up in the Catholic church or the Lutheran church? Raise your hand if that was you. Look at that. Look around. That's what, 50, 60% of this room? It was just as high. It was probably 65% in first service. So this is great. I didn't know it was going to be that high. 
let's talk about this because we got to differentiate between opinions and ideas and history between what we see in Scripture. So what I'm going to do, and I'm so glad I did this now that I saw this, what we're going to do is I'm going to talk about Catholic and Lutheran theology when it comes to communion. And we're going to kind of compare. And I'm going to quote here from Catholic and Lutheran sources. It's important to me that I convey those positions accurately. So here is the Catholic teaching on communion. Maybe you remember this from your confirmation classes growing up. Catholics believe this. They believe in what's called transubstantiation. That is a huge word. Trans means to change, right? Substantiation, a change in substance. So Catholics believe it's the belief that the bread and wine actually, you may even say literally, become the body and blood of Jesus during communion. So if you've ever been to a Catholic Mass, communion, or the Eucharist, as it's called there, is the high point. You might even say it is the point of the Mass. Catholics believe that through the Eucharist, that the Lord Jesus Christ is contained, offered, and received by the person partaking. They also believe that as the priest goes through the ritual of the Mass, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is made present once again to God. It is represented so that Catholics may share in its grace through the Eucharist. And yet, while that's interesting, almost none of that do you actually see in the Scriptures in God's word or throughout the Bible. First of all, we're commanded right here, so Luke 22 is right in front of you, to take communion. And what is the meaning? What are we to do when we do it? We're to do it in remembrance of him, meaning that it is symbolic. Now, part of the confusion comes from Jesus says, this is my body. You can read, he says this again in John chapter 6, which is an interesting passage which contextually is more about manna than literalism, but this is my body is symbolic. Why? Well, let's just take ourselves out of like a mass or a service and think of the actual contextual event, right? His body is right there as he said that. He's holding the bread in his hand. The bread is not his body. And Jesus uses metaphors like this all throughout the New Testament, right? Or through the gospels. He also says, I am the vine, but we don't literally think Jesus is a plant, right? He says, I am the door. We don't think Jesus is a piece of wood. So there's some theological air in that, but I actually think the greater and more widespread and maybe even more serious theological air that has arisen out of this unscriptural teaching is that many people believe, even in our Bible-believing churches, many people believe that communion still has some sort of mystical property to it. That it's communion is somehow necessary to partake in often. And I think that's why people get nervous when we go beyond once a month, or it's been five or six weeks. They feel that if it's been too long, then our faith, then our standing with God is somehow going to suffer. I cannot tell you as a pastor in the upper Midwest how often I have that exact conversation with people. And I think it comes out of this unscriptural belief that there is somehow some sort of special disbursement of grace and forgiveness that happens when we take communion. And that belief can lead to a false version of Christianity. Now, let me give an example of this. This is a bit of extreme, but it can show you the results of what happens when we don't actually live out what we see in the Word. And so, 
uh, as a young man, I had uh, already decided uh, where I was going to college before I became a Christian. Uh, and I ended up at a Catholic university, and I, by the time I got there on campus, I was a baby Christian of just a couple of months. And while I was there at school, I attended Catholic Mass a number of times, just out of curiosity to learn more about what it was. And when I went, I was always blown away by the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students that I would see there, many of whom had spent their entire weekend partying, getting completely drunk, sleeping around, but they would never miss Sunday night Mass. And yet, when we would talk to them from our, our Bible study, our ministry, and we would try to witness to them and talk to them about Jesus, those same students would say, yeah, I don't do the God thing. Don't talk to me about that kind of stuff. And they never miss Sunday night Mass. Now, please don't send me an email on this. I'm, I'm not saying the Catholic Church would condone their lifestyle on the weekends. I know for a fact they would not. But what happened was communion, or the Eucharist, for many of these students was exactly that false teaching. It, they believed it was a disbursement of grace, of forgiveness that they could receive. Because they went to the Mass and Jesus' sacrifice, they believed was once again presented by the priest, they received in Jesus, and they believed that their sins were then forgiven again in that moment and they could go out and live life as they wanted. Now, I'm not saying that the average Catholic treats communion in that sort of calloused way, but they do believe that in communion, in the Eucharist, it is the Eucharist is a means, a disbursement of forgiveness and grace. And that is absolutely dangerous in theologically because that's not what the Bible teaches. The New Testament is the exact opposite of that. You read the letters of Paul, and Paul takes painstaking effort to show that the only way that we are forgiven is by our faith. It is by grace you have been saved, not by doing religious works. Because if we could somehow get a, a burst of forgiveness by taking communion, then you could earn your way to heaven. You say, well, as long as I take it the first Sunday of the month or every week, then I can get enough grace to get to heaven. And that's not the teaching of Christianity. Okay, now many of you, you did not grow up Catholic, but you actually grew up Lutheran. What do Lutherans believe about communion and what's happening? Lutherans don't believe in transubstantiation. They believe in what's called consubstantiation. And here is consubstantiation. It's that Jesus is present in, with, and under the bread and the wine. Now, that may sound kind of confusing. Here's how Lutheran theologians explain it, and I actually think this is a really helpful explanation. They say it's kind of like how water is present within a sponge. So the sponge is not water, but water is in, with, and under the sponge. So they don't believe that the elements are literally transforming into the body and blood of Jesus, but they believe that Jesus is so dynamically present within the elements. So it's a really similar belief, but they're trying to walk away a little bit from this literal transformation. However, I would say you, you don't see that in Scripture either. You see Jesus saying in this Passover meal, and the meal itself is very symbolic. All the elements are symbolism. Jesus giving new meaning to those symbols and saying, do this in remembrance of me. And so this may be hard because it's not how a lot of us grew up, but there is nothing spiritually mystical that is happening during communion. It isn't an Old Testament ritual. It's not a, a ritual that demands that priests be present. In fact, if you study how the early church took 
communion. They called it their agape love feast. You probably actually feel that it was very casual. They met together in houses for their house church. And they just, during their regular meal, took communion. That's one of the reasons that we feel comfortable taking communion even in house groups. Communion isn't this special spiritual burst of God's forgiveness. Here's a good way to think of communion. Communion is like a sign pointing you to something important. So let's say you're going on vacation and you're going to, somebody give me a great place to go on vacation. Hawaii, right? (laughs) Wisconsin? Let's go with that. Let's say you're going to Wisconsin and you're looking at your spouse and you're thinking, how could you, right? And as you're going there, you see a sign and it says, Wisconsin, that way, right? Now, what is the special thing? The special thing is not the sign. It's the place that you're going, the land of Packerdom or whatever, right? And so the sign is not what you worship. It's just pointing to the greater thing. Wisconsin was a terrible example. Okay. <laughs> I should have went with Hawaii. Okay. But here's the thing. It is a sign. Communion is a sign. It is not a savior. It points us to the savior. And the reality is we need a savior. Okay. Let's get to the the third point about what communion really is. And this is key. This is sort of the crux of it. It's this. Communion is a beautiful picture of the forgiveness offered to you through the death of Jesus Christ. The symbolism of communion is so rich. Okay, so you have, let's go contextually again. Jesus and his disciples, they're in the upper room. They're celebrating the Passover meal. A great reminder that God sent a substitute lamb to die in the place of people. And as they eat, Jesus begins to give a more refined, a, a newer, a renewed meaning to the Passover meal. And he says, no longer is this bread going to represent the experience of the Israelites during the exodus. Now it's going to re- represent my body, which is going to be given for you. And he gave it the very next morning for them. And he gives his body, just like the Passover lamb gave its life as a substitute for the Israelites all of those years ago. And then Jesus says, now the wine in the meal represents my blood being poured out for you. Just as the lamb's blood was poured out and used to cover the doorframe, now Jesus' blood and our faith in it can cover us from eternal death. And Jesus the new Passover lamb can deliver us from a greater bondage than even what the the Israelites faced in slavery. He can deliver us from a bondage to sin, a bondage to eternal death. And he does that through his death on the cross. Not communion itself. Communion is this beautiful, this important sign that points us to that, but it's not our Savior. And we need a Savior because we're all sinners. All of us have sinned. Every person in this room has sinned against God. And God is a just God. And absolutely do we deserve his justice. And yet we can be saved by trusting in the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus. That's why Jesus is dying on the cross. He's dying in the place for your sins. And when you believe in that, when you make him the leader of your life, your Savior, it's kind of like painting the blood of Jesus over your life, saying, I believe that this is what's going to save me. 
it's not by being a good enough person. And I think that's what a lot of Americans believe. They believe, oh yes, I'll be a Christian, like kind of go to church, but it's mostly about being a good person. Think of the original Passover. God says the angel of death is coming. Get ready. How does he tell him to get ready? He doesn't say, so it's coming like in three days. And so by then you're going to need to walk a lot more old ladies across the street and kind of get your act together before I come to make sure you're worthy. That's not what he says at all. You can't be worthy. You're not worthy. It's only through your faith in the death of the lamb that you can be saved. That's what communion is just pointing us back to every time we take it. We are saved not because of what we did, but because his body was given, because his blood was poured out. That is a glorious reminder. And it's the deep truth of Christianity. And maybe that's just even hitting you for the first time. You're going, I, no, I always thought, like, you know, be, you know, come to church and do all that, but ultimately it's about me being a good person, but it isn't. You're never going to be good enough. It's only through your faith in Jesus and giving your life, turning your life over to him that you can be saved. If you've never made that decision before, later on in the service, I will give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe you even need to do that today for the very first time. For the rest of us, I want... As we're talking about the Lord's Supper today, I want us to partake in it, to take communion. You know, the Bible does tell us in 1 Corinthians that this is a serious thing. A communion is something that you only want to take part in unless you absolutely believe it. And so if you're here today and you're kind of exploring Christianity, you're starting to read the Bible for the first time, just figuring out what this is all about, first of all, that's awesome. We're, there's definitely people like this like that in this room, and we are excited that you're here, but just kind of skip this part of the service. Uh, For those of you that are here, and you are true believers in Jesus Christ, we want to take part in this special ceremony together, and that's communion. So if you look under the chair in front of you, you can grab, uh, there's kind of a small communion chalice there. If you're in the front row, it's under your chair. Go ahead and pick that up, and then look to the bottom of the chalice, and I want you to pull off the covering and uh, take the bread out. And just hold it in your hand for a second. And I want you to just take a second and reflect on the fact that Jesus Christ is your Passover lamb. That his body was given so you could be spared from the angel of death. Just take a moment and think about that. body of Christ given for you. Go ahead and take the bread. Now before you drink of the juice, I want you also to take a moment and just take time to thank God that Jesus on the cross let his blood be poured out for you to die in your place. Jesus at any time, you even see this in the gospel, says he could easily just call down legions of angels to just stop this. Jesus was not helpless on the cross. But he chooses to let his blood be spilled in place of yours. And just take a moment and thank him for that. blood of Christ was shed for you. Go ahead and peel back the covering and and drink from the cup.
And then if you would, you could just place the wrappers into the chalice and you can put it, there's a little holder on the chair in front of you. I just want to pray. And I'm going to pray and just thank God for this incredible ordinance, the ceremony, whatever you want to call it, that we get to celebrate together that reminds us as this beautiful, beautiful sign to his crucifixion and his saving of us. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for this symbol that we can do this in remembrance of you. And you gave us this to remember, not a sign of your miracles, but a sign of your death. This is the most important thing you wanted us to remember. God, we are so thankful. We deserve for our bodies to suffer, for our blood to be poured out. But you came in our place as our substitute lamb. What love, God. You loved us first, and we just, I don't even know what to do with that some days, God. And so now we, as we just move into the song of worship, we want to worship you, God, from our hearts, not just our minds, but from our hearts, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In your name we pray. Amen.